Last time, we ended with a pretty important question. How do we want extended intelligence to be, and who will watch over that? In this episode, I want to talk to you a little bit about one of the first people, if not the first person, to ever try to answer that question with legislation. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, today is October 27th. I'm James Vaca, and I'm chair of the Committee on Technology. And we're here today to discuss the implementation and administration of Local Law 11 of 2012, best known as the Open Data Law. This James Vaca served in the New York City Council from the 13th District from 2006 to 2017. And in August of 2017, as chair for the Committee on Technology, he introduced the first-ever algorithmic transparency bill, one that would require city agencies that use algorithms or other automated processing methods that target services, impose penalties, or police persons to publish the source code used for such processing. According to a piece by the New York Times, this bill would require the city to make public the computer instructions that are used invisibly in all kinds of government decision-making. As it stands, very few, if any, major cities in the United States require any kind of transparency for those types of algorithms. As for Councilman Vaca's motivations behind sponsoring this bill, in every interview he's ever done, Vaca states that his only ambition was transparency, as well as accountability for the automated decision-making systems that affect the lives of millions of New Yorkers every day. An important clarification to make is that although VACA does not explicitly argue that algorithms used by the city are necessarily flawed by bias, he argues that their power cannot be ignored. As VACA declared at the time in December of 2017, if we're going to be governed by machines and algorithms and data, well, they better be transparent. Part of the reason why VACA and others argue for transparency of all things is because for the most part, a lot of the algorithms currently in use, from designating where children go to school and which family gets approved for loans, to predicting future criminality or deciding how long someone stays in prison for, a lot of these algorithms are proprietary, meaning that they're owned by someone or some business. And in that sense, they are afforded the status of intellectual property. And with that distinction, no judge or government official would ever be able to decipher what variables are being weighed. And just overall, how these outcomes even come about. And that's a really big problem. So Vaca made a proposal to change that, and the ask was simple. He proposed that whenever a city agency wished to use an automated system to apportion policing, penalties, or services, that agency would be required to make the source code, or the system's inner workings, available to the public. It would also be required to simulate the algorithm's real-world performance using data submitted by New Yorkers. But unfortunately for our hero, the story didn't end there. Soon enough, this version of the legislation proved to be a long shot. ...to identify and address. There are some data sets that were identified in previous plans that were removed from the most recent plan, and some sets were created and included within the last year. To ensure full compliance, this committee hopes to hear the reasoning for the inclusion of some sets and for the exclusion of others. Furthermore, some sets... After VACA's stakeholders communicated that they wanted to move at a slower pace than the original bill anticipated, 
The final law eventually ditched some of the original draft's disclosure requirements and set up a kind of fact-finding task force in their place. This task force, convened by Mayor Bill de Blasio, would essentially develop recommendations on a range of issues including which types of algorithms should be regulated, how private citizens can meaningfully assess the algorithm's functions and gain an explanation of the decisions that affect them personally, and how the government can address instances in which a person is harmed by algorithmic bias. While this may sound like a great alternative, it may even sound like what we've tried to hypothesize in this very series, it is not what VACA originally proposed. Full and real transparency. In fact, the only relic of the original draft's requirements is a vague reference to, quote, making technical information publicly available where appropriate. Some argue that the proprietary information argument might as well just be an excuse for the government to give private companies too much leeway to advance broad and baseless claims to corporate secrecy. And as such, Professors Helen Nissenbaum, Thomas Ristenpart, and Julia Powells, experts in this field, proposed a qualified solution in a hearing on October of 2017, one that would require less than total disclosure of the source code, but more than nothing at all, with a specific emphasis on the data that drives the city's systems. But even that effort was turned down. As Freddie Goldstein, a spokesperson for de Blasio's office, put it, Publishing the proprietary information of a company with whom we contract would not only violate our agreement, it would also prohibit other companies from ever doing business with us. How in the world did this happen? And what does it say about our future? The transparency bill former council member Vaca proposed passed in name only, with most if not all of the content ripped out of it. The state gave greater weight to the business interests of private corporations above civil rights concerns, and James Vaca is nowhere to be found. After leaving office at the beginning of 2018, Vaca deleted all social media and all mechanisms to otherwise contact him online. Despite the growing threats of machine bias, the industry group Tech NYC, which lobbies on behalf of companies including Google, AOL, and Airbnb, as well as many other smaller startups, opposed the release of proprietary algorithms mandated under the new New York legislation, arguing that such legislative actions would have a, quote, chilling effect that would discourage companies from working with city officials. This begs the question, is it not also chilling that the civil liberties of average citizens could very well be violated by these same tools? And moreover, what obligations does the government have towards private companies over those to their own citizens? So did VACA's effort succeed? Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that it set an enormously important precedent for seeking out accountability and transparency for the source code for the algorithms that are used, with clear asks for that accountability. But, in the end, Clearly, the interests of the companies and their partnerships with the government won over the rights of the people. And this was sanctioned by the state without the fight ever going to court. As we discussed in the last season of this podcast, 
the United States Supreme Court denied the writ for certiorari for Loomis v. Wisconsin, one of the first cases concerning a sentencing algorithm proven to be racially biased, one that was the subject of Julia Angwin's paper in ProPublica, one of the first mainstream pieces to cover this issue. We can only speculate as to the reason the court rejected this case, but let's just say that as of 2016, Justice Elena Kagan indicated in an interview that only two out of the nine justices knew how to use their email. This takes us back to Julia Angwin's work at ProPublica, where, rather than demanding full transparency and disclosure, she reported on the bias of sentencing algorithms, specifically one called Compass, by testing sample cases in order to try and figure out what variables were being weighed more than others. But that's not even the worst part. The fact is, we're not just dealing with biased machine learning data anymore. In fact, according to a piece by the MIT Technology Review, we're dealing with crime-predicting algorithms and autonomous systems like it that are trained on illegally collected or even falsified data. In this case, the piece covered a popular crime-predicting tool called PredPol, a leading vendor in this area, one that boasts that it helps protect 1 in 33 Americans. However, new research suggests that several police departments in the United States had a culture of purposely manipulating or falsifying data under intense political pressure to bring down official crime rates. As a paper by the NYU Law Review and researchers at the AI Now Institute articulates, in New York, for example, in order to artificially deflate crime statistics, precinct commanders regularly instructed victims at crime scenes not to file complaints. Some police officers even planted drugs on innocent people to meet their quotas for arrests. This is just one example, in one sector of autonomous systems. But the question remains, how did we get here? And more importantly, why are our governments going along with this and letting this happen? Why would they let private companies manage these judicial questions and questions of civil rights? Maybe it's in part, at least, because they just don't know how to do it themselves or know how these systems really work. But as a result of this disconnect, are these companies effectively becoming their own branch of government because our regular institutions simply don't know how to handle technology? In this season of the podcast, we brought together experts from a variety of areas touched by these issues and these questions and discussed the lofty promises of transparency and accountability for autonomous systems. But what if the governments we have never fully support a fight towards total transparency simply because they can't. They just don't have the capabilities to do so, and if they push too hard on the companies, they just won't do business with them. This begs the obvious question, are these tech companies just becoming, de facto, a fourth branch of government as a result? Maybe Julia Angwin's got the right idea, that the only solution we have right now is to run test cases to see what's going on and get transparency in that way. Maybe that's our best hope. But what will that look like? Or, as several of my friends and professors have argued, maybe we just need to surrender and embrace this new era of data collection and unchecked autonomous systems. 
To be honest, I don't know what our best option even is. In this series, we have attempted to create a hypothetical agency of people who really do need to weigh in on these issues, but at the same time, we are left with some pretty unexpected, pragmatic problems in trying to make that happen. Although I'll admit that this is not a satisfying conclusion in any way, I will leave you with one of my favorite quotes on the topic of the future of AI and society by Nick Bostrom, a foundational thinker in this area and the author of Superintelligence, Paths, Dangers, Strategies. And that quote is, The challenge presented by the prospect of superintelligence and how we might best respond is quite possibly the most important and most daunting challenge humanity has ever faced. And whether we succeed or fail, it is probably the last challenge that we will ever face. On a scale from one to ten, my friend, you're f- In lack of other words, I'd say you're f- You are as they say in Japanese. From the head down to the knees, I am.